Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome into finally the as yet unnamed South Carolina basketball podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and I apologize for putting this off as long as I have, but I'm happy to say that I have finally connected with Colin Taylor, whom I've met a couple times. Yes. This is already the most time we've ever spent together in person. Uh, Very excited to talk hoops with you for the rest of the season, although I think we're less excited to talk about Carolina basketball now than we maybe would have been on November 5th. As South Carolina sits here at 6-4, and four, a little bit of a disappointing start to the season, and uh, since we are in the middle of the season, we're, we'll just jump right in with that. South Carolina's last game, it's been almost a week. They played Houston this past weekend. They lost by 20. And like I said, as we sit here almost a week removed from that game, I'm not overly concerned necessarily with the specifics of that game. And Houston's a good team. They made the tournament the last couple of years, made the Sweet 16 the last, last year. And South Carolina's a team that has struggled at times offensively, so it wasn't completely surprising to see them only score 56 but what do you think uh, it would would you say is your biggest kind of big picture concern about this basketball team coming away from the Houston game and sitting at six and four after 10 games yeah I think it's I mean obviously it's the offensive side of things um, defensively I'm usually not worried about a Frank Martin team because I know they're going to get better over the course of the season and you have a lot of guys that are the Jermaine Kustars the Jair Boldens of the world that are really doing this for the first time defensively it's more of the offensive side of things where I think we were we talked a lot in the off season and we're promised a lot of things in the off season about it being fast paced and frenetic and you know high scoring and we're just not seeing that yet. Guys, just they're not knocking down shots right now. I'm not saying they don't have the ability to, but right now they're not knocking down shots and it's it's come back to bite them. Um, Houston, uh, the U and I game, uh, a few others. So um, that's a concern right now. But as they kind of Frank figures this team out a little bit, they should be a little bit better in that regard. Yeah, and I think that's been kind of surprising for me because the the thing that we know about this team and the one thing that has been borne out where Carolina has been pretty good consistently offensively this year is in transition because they have so many athletes. And I thought that that athleticism would translate to good shot creation. And a guy like Jair Bolden, that when he's scoring well, he looks like a very natural scorer. He's got a nice silky J when he gets inside of like, you know, 18 feet and he pops it. He, he looks makes, he makes like the harder shots possible look as easy as possible. I know. Like brick like an open two. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's getting to that point that's that's giving Carolina so much trouble. And I couldn't necessarily foresee that. I also anticipated that once they got Keyshawn Bryant back, that would make a huge difference because he's someone that a defense has to pay so much attention to and he can really collapse the defense. It's been two games back for him now and obviously he's not a hundred percent. He's not yet back in the starting rotation. But I, I thought that that may have been the difference, and not necessarily South Carolina winning or losing that Houston game, but I was surprised that he didn't have a bigger impact on that game. Is that on me for expecting him to come back and do too much too soon? No, I don't think so, and I think that I expected him to play a little bit more too uh, against Houston. I I was surprised they didn't go with that small lineup that had so much success against UMass. Now, granted, two completely different teams. UMass pressed a lot. Uh, Houston didn't do as much of that, so... Uh, but I was surprised not to see A.J. Lawson, Jermaine Cousinard, and Keyshawn all on the court at the same time to kind of give them a little bit more burst of speed, a little more athleticism. Um, but, yeah, I, I think as Keyshawn gets 
more into it. Uh, I think he's actually going to step up and be more. Frank's talked all season about a guy stepping up and being a leader, and I think that's going to be Keyshawn Bryant and just seeing how he interacts with his team and just his personality away from the court and all that is is leadership mentality. It's a leadership kind of style of doing things. So I think you're going to see him kind of build on what you saw against UMass, not necessarily Houston, and you're going to start to see him get more minutes and, and factor into that rotation a lot more than his 14 minutes against Houston the other it, week. It's interesting that he's going to be the one that Frank's probably going to, like you're saying, lean on to fill that role because you have a senior, and Mike Coates are a guy that was on the Final Four team, but he's just not a very vocal guy, not a super aggressive guy, not a super confident guy, especially offensively. So that's not necessarily where you're taking your lead from. And you have A.J. Lawson, who's your best player, but same kind of thing where he's a little more passive guy. He's not super talkative. So, you know, if Bryant can be that guy, South Carolina can can certainly use that. Um, to the, to your point about him getting back into the lineup, getting a little more acclimated into it, Frank Martin said that he's probably not going to make any changes to the starting lineup until close to Christmas, which is a little bit surprising and I guess a little bit concerning probably if you're a Gamecock fan. They have Clemson obviously coming up this weekend. They have UVA on the 22nd, so I don't know if that's what he would be eyeballing as like a Christmas time change uh, before Stetson closes out their non-conference schedule and then starting SEC play. So by then, by Stetson, by Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, you assume that Keyshawn Bryant will be back in the lineup. Do you think that's a mistake to not have him in there for Clemson and UVA? Because it just seems to be a huge difference when he's there. No, and I think Frank's Frank operates at his own pace, at his own system. He beat, marches to the beat of his own drum and no one else's. And I think you've seen in recent years him having a willingness to keep his second-best player, third-best player on the bench until that first media timeout. Frank Booker did it. Um, Evan Henson started like 20 games one year just because they liked having Frank Booker come off the bench. Um, last year with Hassani. Uh, Hassani was probably the team's second or third best player on the team and came off the bench. So I think once this team, they finish up finals tomorrow and we'll have nothing but basketball for about three weeks, uh, close to a month. And when that happens and they're kind of getting a little bit more time to focus on them and and practice and see what guys can do, that's when you're going to see lineup changes. Um, They have a week in between Clemson and UVA, and then they have an even longer break between UVA and Stetson. So if you're going to see a lineup change, I think that's when it's going to be. Um, Bryant's obviously the guy that you can plug in and play at the three and then move Manaya to the four. You could bring Kusnard in, although I really like him coming off the bench. Um, you could bring him in and play the two and move Lawson to the three. There's some options and some flexibility there with it. Um, but, yeah, I don't think you're going to see any changes. You might see him against Clemson, but if they're going to come, it's probably going to be against against UVA or against um, Stetson, Stetson there yeah. in that 30th, 31st. All right, so before we talk about the specific different lineup possibilities for Carolina, because I think that's a really interesting conversation at this point. And even though Carolina 6-4, and four, even though they've been underwhelming, they haven't looked great offensively, I still believe in the talent and the upside of this team because you've seen the flashes of what those guys can do. But you mentioned you know, how Frank likes to have guys coming off the bench, the Frank Booker kind of guy, and I, I love that. You know, the, I, I think at the time, that was when Dwayne Wade was coming off the bench for, uh, for Cleveland, you know, being sort of a spark plug, and I was making the comparison, not saying Frank Booker was D-Wade, but it's like D-Wade's good enough to be starting, but it's nice to have that sort of energy guy coming off the bench. So are you someone that philosophically thinks start your best five guys, or are you someone that maybe, like Frank seems to a little bit, or has in the past, values not necessarily starting all five of your best guys because you have like a unit that you like, and then you can bring someone off the bench to to sort of buoy those second units? Yeah, I mean, I'm a start your best five guys guy, um, but there's a reason Frank Martin's coaching the Final Four and I haven't. So <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, not I'm, yet. I'm young, so it can happen. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a matter of style. Frank likes to have 
two really good on-ball defenders come in and then start, you know, whether that's A.J. Lawson or Jair Bolden, who can be good on-ball defenders, and then likes to bring another wave of guys in that can defend the ball after that. And so it just kind of tires the defense out. And Jermaine Kusner and Keyshawn Bryant are guys that do that. So whether or not he keeps them there or not is kind of up to him. But if I'm filling out a lineup and, you know, Frank Martin's not calling me to ask what I think, um, I'd like to have Keyshawn at the three and then Justin at the four um, and then kind of keep bringing Kusner in off the bench just because that is such a physical guy that can come in. Even if you bring him in at the first media timeout with 16 minutes to go in the first half, you get that spark plug from him and that helps kind of with the offensive efficiency if you pull a guy like a Jair Bolden and put Kusner at the one, then you still have some scoring options there with that. Right, and that's that's what it's going to be probably for this Clemson game, as you're mentioning, maybe for UVA, although that's when they would start to make some of those changes. But it seems to me, you know, especially after having seen Wilson Zavec, he was someone that I was excited about. He and Jalen McCreary, I was both like, what can, I was like, what can these guys bring? What do they do? And, and Levesque is the one that has obviously popped a little more than McCreary, and obviously Micaiah Henry hasn't really gotten off the bench. But I always envisioned the best version of this team being Manai at the four, Brian at the three, AJ Lawson at one of the guard spots. One of those centers, again, in this case, now that now that we've seen these guys play 10 games, it seems like it's going to be Levesque, especially as he gets a little more comfortable with Frank Martin's system. He's already just, I mean, you, you see the, the just the freaky athleticism yeah, on I mean, rebounds it's, and blocks. It's really, I, I really like what Williams brings to the table. Yeah, and then that other guard spot, I didn't know if it was going to be Jair. It seems like at this point, best case scenario is Jermaine Kusnarb, which leaves you with TJ Moss, Jair Bolden, Mike Coates are coming off the bench. You know, TJ Moss, a guy that's at least been around the program for a while, obviously hasn't played a ton. He's only played what, like 17 games now? He yeah, played seven or eight yeah, games last yeah. year, something like that. And then Mike, obviously, again, not a super advanced offensive player, but at least a steadying presence. And Jair Bolden, someone that, like you're saying, he can make those tough shots and he makes it look easy. Do you feel like that is a like a realistic future for South Carolina? Or do you think Frank's just going to stick with his two traditional big men forever, no matter what, and maybe just close with that other lineup? Well, I think it's a weird because I think that Frank... Frank's kind of set in his ways, and Frank's always kind of been set in his ways. But last year, you saw a deviation from that a little bit, mm-hmm. especially offensively. Uh, with Sandarius and Dwayne, they were more of a half-court team. Um, the years they went to the Final Four and won 25 games. And then last year, it was, let's break neck, let's just go out and run and have fun with it. And I think this year is kind of a marriage between those two. And you're seeing Frank having a willingness to adapt his offensive system to his personnel. Defense is not going to adapt. That's Frank Martin is set in his defensive ways. It's man to man. It's going to be man to man for till the day he retires. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, but I think you're you're going to see if Keyshawn Bryant's your best option, you're going to see him at the three to start the game. And Justin Manai is too good of a rebounder, too good of a defender um, to not start games. So um, I think if if that if it comes to that, that'll be the lineup. But Frank loves his two big men. Frank loves having two point guards on the floor at the exact same time. So, um, yeah, it, it's really just a matter of how Jair Bolden continues continues to develop, um, how Keyshawn Bryant looks as he continues to work back from that knee. And I think you're going to start to see some answers to that over the next two weeks before they get into conference play. I think you were one of the first people I remember reading, drawing attention to South Carolina's fast pace last year. Um, obviously on Gamecock Central, if y'all are not subscribed, you should be, so you can read all of Colin's basketball stuff. He's got all the like good basketball takes and all the like advanced analytics. It's a nice blend, which I really appreciate as someone that both embraces nerd culture and also just you know I'm enjoys full nerd the culture at this point. Huh? <laughs> I'm full nerd culture. Yeah, at this no, point. it's yeah. great. It's great. You, yeah. you, Will Helms, and I need to get in here and just like nerd out. Yeah, just be yeah. calculators together. Although I think y'all are both math guys. I'm not a math guy. I wish I were a math guy. I'm I, not unfortunately. I joked. I took AP calculus in high school. And uh-huh. I joked that. 
with one of my buddies who's now in the doctorate school at USC to get his statistics is like, you went and got your money making thing and I'm here in journalism, yeah. not making any money. I'm going to write about it. Uh, so. Yeah, but you're having fun. Yeah. You get to write about Oh, yeah, basketball. no, it's a lot of fun, it's... but it, we joke about the two completely different paths. Like yeah. You know, taking BC calculus in high school. So this is the real practical yeah. application of numbers. So yeah. Carolina obviously played at a, a faster pace this year. I don't know if you've looked at their pace numbers or have them or know what they are um, this year. They haven't been able to get out and transition. It doesn't feel like, that. It doesn't feel like they've had as many opportunities. But when they have, um, like it was, uh, I guess, watching that UMass game, I was a little bit concerned because Carolina has struggled at the point of attack, breaking guys down off the dribble. I was like, this is a team that's going to press a lot. They press on, you know, whatever it is, 35, 38% of their possessions. I didn't know what South Carolina was going to look like, but we saw them for stretches of that game really thrive when UMass was pressing because they were able to just operate in transition. You saw the athleticism, you you saw the speed, just the natural playmaking of of a lot of different guys. You know, even even uh, Cousinard, who I don't think Carolina is necessarily ever going to need to look to to be a primary playmaker, just has a really nice feel for the game, and you got to see it a lot more when Carolina was playing that transition game than you typically do when they're in their half-court set. So is there anything that, that Carolina can do other than just force more turnovers to, I guess, allow themselves to to play pacier ball and to get out and transition more? I mean, I really like, I know, again, we go back to this UMass game, and it was a press team, so a lot of the stats you're going to get there are skewed, and a lot of the you know takeaways you're going to get are skewed because they were obviously a press team, but... Uh, right, you know, I, I like Jermaine Kustard at the point. I think he has a really good feel for the game, and he's uh, he's probably their best passer right now, just from what I've been able to see from him, and uh, gets guys involved well. And when AJ Lawson's kind of playing off the ball, and you're designing shots for him, he usually knocks them down. He did hit those two against Houston, uh, really closed well against um, UMass. But yeah, I think that if this team wants to up its offensive efficiency numbers, um, take better shots, get better looks, it's going to have to play a little bit faster and. They're, they've done that in spurts. I'm um, looking at the numbers right now. They're 47th as of, what, Thursday at 4 o'clock. Um, they're 47th in the country in adjusted tempo. Um, their average possession length is about 15 seconds, which is 25th in the country. So they're taking quick shots, but it's just a matter now of getting good shots when you take quick shots, not taking quick quick shots just to essentially take them and, and waste, you know, not waste time. So. Right. Um, I think Frank, you know, kind of said as much. I don't remember if it was the teleconference or what it was this week, where he was just like, "Just got to make shots." Yeah, no, that's what it is. It's like you know, you can break all this stuff down and talk about who should be playing, who should not be, what kind of style of play you want to play. But you know, whether you're playing fast paced or whether you're playing half court sets, let's run plays to get it to Mike Kozar. I mean, if guys aren't converting, um, you're not going to score points, <laughs> and if you don't score points, it's kind of hard to win. I mean, when you're shooting forty seven point two percent you know, effective field goal percentage, which measures efficiency in your shots, then that's not going to go well for you. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think Frank said it, you know, just make shots, man. And if you don't do that, it's going to be hard to win and win basketball games. So you spend a lot more time around the program than I do. You've watched a lot more of these guys and, and talked to them a lot more. What I had heard about Cousinard is that he was a scorer, mostly that. So yeah. I did not expect, I've been pleasantly surprised, like you're saying, about his, his passing ability, his feel for the game. Did you expect that, or has it been a surprise for you, too? I mean, I, to a degree, I expected it. Um, he was obviously a guy that scored 30 points his senior season in Chicago, which is hard to do. Uh, there's a lot of talent there, but you saw it a little bit in the Pro-Am, and it's really hard to kind of get a lot from the Pro-Am outside of, you know, how guys look shooting the ball. But he's turned into probably their best passer. Um, he's turned into probably Manai is your best perimeter defender, but who starts probably number two or number three at, at times. Um, it's just a guy that kind of, 
he learns it quick, and he didn't have to do a lot of defensive work last year. Frank didn't make him do a lot of defensive work last year. And he's kind of caught on quick these last two, three months once they start a preseason practice. And uh, he, he's shown it. He's a really smart player. He's a smart interview when you start talking to him about the game and kind of the inner workings of it. And um, Yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed. I think he's right now, you can make an argument that he's your best player outside of Mike Coates are. Yeah, I mean, so far this season, because for AJ, it's been a little bit up and down that Houston game, 10 points, just 2 of 10 shooting. He's yeah, all-around game. AJ is probably your second best offensive option right now. If not yeah, the yeah. Best offensive option and, and, I mean, it's just, it's just like the, the floor for him is so high, and mm-hmm. he, he's obviously still someone that has uh, NBA aspirations. And just whenever he, whenever he can or wants to or does take over, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy. But I guess I said this the other day on my local show. One of the things that is, you know, maybe frustrating, but I think, like, ultimately could – could be a, an encouraging sign for Gamecock fans is that AJ, for the most part, uh, I think he scored he scored twenty four in one game in these last couple weeks. I don't remember if it was um, UMass or if it was the uh, George Washington game, or, or he scored twenty four in one of these games, and it was it was one of those twenty fours. You look up and you are like, oh, AJ's oh, yeah. got twenty four. Yeah, he, he does he does it quietly. He's not a really flashy player. He does it within the framework of the offense, which I think is good because that, that speaks to just that it's reliable. And then when other guys start to pick up, you know, sort of the scoring burden that. It all kind of, of coalesces, but I think the frustration might enter in if you're a Gamecock fan when you say, well, if you can do that, you know, why not just take over? Why not score like 32 when you need to? Because Sendarius, you know, he would have his, his quiet 22s or whatever, but he'd also go for the, you know, the 36 or, yeah, the, you know, four overtime game where against putting, Alabama yeah, where he scored yeah. 44 and hit like 20 yeah. something free throws. Yeah. Like he, he, he hasn't so far done that this year. And I, I don't know, that might just not be his personality, but I think maybe there's a little bit of frustration from Gamecock fans for a guy that, like flirted with the draft last year, at least like willing to see what the evaluations were like to decide before he came back. I don't think it was ever like an earnest proposition, but that he is thinking that. I, I wonder if Gamecock fans have been expecting more through 10 games from him. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it comes when he's scoring 24. They're not getting a lot of help around him consistently. So he's putting up these great numbers, but it's almost like the offense can't put together a complete performance at the same time from all five guys that are getting consistent minutes. So you might get 24 from Lawson, and then 20, you know, 16 from Kustard and 13 from Bryant, like you did against UMass, where you score 84 points and you look good doing it. But then he'll, he'll score, you know, 28 or, you know, 22, and then you get eight from Kusnard, and then Kostard, you know, has one, you know, a, a bad game, or you're not getting enough from your bench minutes, or you're not getting enough from your bigs outside of that to really have a cohesive offensive performance. So a lot of it comes from AJ needing. He needs to play better, I think, especially defensively. And Frank talked a little bit about that on his press conference leading up or today. But it's just a matter of kind of figuring out the offense around A.J. Lawson because I think he's your number one option right now. Obviously, a guy that's probably going to get drafted this year if he decides to leave. Uh, And then kind of getting shots for guys outside of that and kind of guys fitting into certain roles. Uh, Because if it's late in crunch time right now, there are – two or three guys that you could conceivably see getting the ball, and I think there needs to be maybe one, if not, and maybe two guys that, that you can draw a place for and, and can hit over contested, you know, contested shots and contested defenses. Where's Trey Hannibal? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, he hadn't played in the last two games. Yeah. So I, I think it's one of those where Hannibal at Hartsville, um, and no disrespect to Hartsville, but he was the best player on the court at every single time, and, um, he had that kind of mentality of I'm going to lower my head and drive and make this offense kind of feed off me. And that doesn't work in Frank Martin's system. Um, I call it, kind of call it hero ball 
where it's just one guy trying to do a little bit of everything. And it's about breaking that mindset, I think, for him. And Franks Martin's system's complex. That's, I mean, it's, call it what it is. And it's hard for freshmen, especially guards, who he's really hard on to, to learn it. And Hannibal's kind of having that learning curve right now with it. And I think that as he kind of gets settled and learns how to work within the offense, then you'll start to see him a little bit more. But um, he'll have stretches where he plays great, and then he'll commit four fouls in three minutes. And then you got to have to, <laughs> you know, you have to sit him down. So mm-hmm. consistency is big for him. And um, the good thing is, is I really don't need him right now. I mean, you have Lawson, you have Kuznard, you have Bolden, your, your three primaries with TJ Moss in there. So um, kind of keep him on the bench, keep him learning. And then, you know, if he develops into something this year, great. And if not, then you have him next year as a pretty key contributor on your point guard rotation. I'm, I've been kind of, I don't want to say like hoping, because it would be great if like TJ Moss could just figure it out, but I, I've been feeling like what he brings in terms of defensive intensity and the fact that he looks like if basketball doesn't pan out for him, he could go play running back for Will Muschamp. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that are just like, you know, interesting to watch, like as a just watching a basketball player in person. I, I was sort of hoping and, and waiting for him to start to take some of these minutes for TJ Moss, but it's gone the other direction. Based on what you've heard, what you've seen, do you expect Trey Hannibal to, I mean, I, I imagine he'll work his way back into the rotation at some point, but do you think he will work his way into like an 18 to 22 minutes kind of guy by the end of the season, or do you think he's a longer-term project? By the end of the season, I don't think he's 18 to 22, uh, just based on what we've seen over the first 10. Mm-hmm. But by the end of his career, he has a chance, and I, I agree with Frank when when he said it during the recruitment process right after he signed, was you know Hannibal has a chance to be a star. And I, I said it when Trey, they were recruiting him, when he committed, when he signed, that if Frank Martin could design a point guard in a laboratory to fit his system, it would it would come out looking a lot like Trey Hannibal. And there's some tools to work with there, the athleticism, the passing, the the court vision, um, just the the pit bullness, if that's a word, of it is now. Yeah, of his defensive style of play. Um, there's a lot to work with there. It kind of reminds me of Dwayne Notice. And Dwayne, his freshman year kind of had to play because there was wasn't a whole lot of wasn't a whole lot around him and Trey Hannibal's kind of given the benefit of having guys around him to where he can sit and develop into something because I think he does have the tools to develop into someone that can be really good at South Carolina yeah I really like that comparison I I don't remember if I've made that or my roommate made that but that seems like I mean Carolina's missing a lot of things offensively right now we Mm -hmm. talked about you know being better at the point of the attack being able to generate better shots but having someone like Trey Hannibal that as you mentioned can really be a dog on the defensive end of the floor but that could also just shoot open threes or you know if you need to attack off the dribble because he has the athleticism he's got bounce to do that is it feels like that too could be sort of the upside of this team but it sounds like we might be a a little further away from that um, because he's a young player and it takes a long time and I remember coming in it was a home game what was a home game that I went to um I don't know oh maybe Gardner Webb he came in had like two really nice defensive plays and then had like a dumb foul under the basket and Frank Martin yanked him yeah, and then that was and then that was it. And, and like yeah. that's the kind of stuff that like I understand that like you said, I'm not a Final Four coach. Yeah. I'm not a you know didn't have success at Kansas State, haven't had success at South Carolina. Frank Martin knows a lot more about basketball than I do. But that kind of stuff drives me crazy because I'm like he's a young player. Like let him make those mistakes and play through that because I just want to see him on the floor. Because I mean, and, and Frank Martin cert- certainly sees it even more acutely and clearly than I do. But I just see like so much of what he could be in terms of like possibly a star, but it seems like the worst case scenario for him in terms of the life of his career is just like a really, really excellent role player, off-ball defender, 
secondary creator, someone that can knock down open shots for you. And I just want to see him like play it out and play through these things, but that's not really how Frank works. <laughs> yeah, no, selfishly, I would love to see you know slap Trey Hannibal, Wilden's Levesque, and you know all these athletic yeah. Jalen McCreary out there, yeah. and just Keyshawn Bryant, AJ Lawson, let's run and let's go have fun, and you know it, it'll be you know ninety five to one hundred six by yeah, the end of the game with like eight hundred turnovers because mm-hmm. they're freshmen and that's what freshmen do sometimes. But selfishly, I'd love to see it. And you've seen flashes. That's what I think about this freshman class where. You have a Wildens, Levesque, a Jalen McCreary, and a Trey Hannibal um, that they all really like, and they've shown flashes. I mean, heck, Wildens, Levesque's starting. Um, Jalen McCreary's played some big minutes for him this year. So, and then Trey Hannibal's obviously had his ups and downs. So, you've seen flashes of that, and there's optimism there that these guys, once once they get into the system a little bit more, kind of get their feet wet, then you'll really start to see what they're made of and why the coaches thought so highly of them because of it. So you wrote a piece uh, earlier this week about the 10 things that we have learned about South Carolina basketball through the first 10 games of the season. For those of you that haven't read it, go check it out on GamecockCentral.com. I'm going to ask you to to sort of synthesize those things into one answer. If you could fix one thing about this basketball team through the first 10 games of the season, and you can't be like, I would fix the four losses. (laughs) Just like one thing going forward. Uh, you know, for this next game against Clemson and for the rest of the season, just one thing that they haven't done well that they need to do better that would make the biggest impact on the rest of their season. I'd probably say on-ball defending. Uh, and Frank's harped on that the last, what seems like, three weeks. Uh, just, it creates so many chances for them, and, and Frank's defense is certainly a way to create offense for them because when they're on-ball defending and denying and getting to the passing lanes, which is a staple of what Frank Martin likes to do defensively, creates turnovers, creates runouts, lets them get up and down the floor a little bit quicker uh, because they can, he talked a little bit about it today, where they can kind of extend the other team's offense to the half-court line and then they have to pass it around there instead of having to, you know, getting into the paint. So on-ball defense is huge. They really need to improve on that with A.J. Lawson, Jair Bolden, uh, T.J. Moss, Jermaine Cousinard, and then the bigs kind of denying in the paint with the on-ball defense and making sure guys don't get to their spots down low. Um Kotsar's done a really good job of that this year, but the Levesque's, the Jalen McCreary's, the Alonzo Franks of the world kind of need to step their game up there, and I think Frank would also tell you that as well. Um, but if that happens, then it kind of almost doesn't – it's not a cure-all, but it helps the offensive efficiency numbers a little bit, helps transition numbers a little bit, helps you know tempo, uh, which all plays into that kind of like their strengths and what they like to do offensively. So that's got to be frustrating for Frank and for South Carolina fans because that's something that I'm not going to say it's it's just an effort thing because obviously there's a lot more that goes into it. But I guess the, we talked about the, the offensive part of it and the defensive part of it is, has been just as confusing. It's like if you have all these guys that are really athletic, that have long arms, that are fast, it's like, oh yeah, like in the same way that you feel like they'd be able to break down defenders and create offense and create their own shots, it's like they should be able to stay in front of these defenders. So is there something uh, like schematic that some of these guys like – like I guess Jerry Bolden has been in the program for a year, but the, you know these are the first ten games that he's playing for South Carolina. Is there something that Frank Barton asks them to do defensively in stopping that first action that is you know schematically difficult for these guys, or is it just a matter of they just need to straight up be better one on one on ball defenders? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Frank like Frank asks a lot of different things that aren't necessarily commonplace in terms of that uh, the bigs like to hedge in front of their defenders instead of behind or in the post um, you're mate you're clogging passing lanes and so you have to know where that first pass is usually going so it's a lot of thinking on the perimeter when you're having to do that and but they prepare for that 
they understand they watch film. They understand where that pass is normally going to go. And so now that's a point of just being better than your man and, and making those athletic plays that you need to make. And um, it'll come. Um, I, we've seen him have the willingness to kind of do different things. They trapped a little bit. They switched to zone a little bit against uh, Houston, and that worked at times. And I think I think this team, and I know Frank will never do it because he's a big man-to-man guy, but mm-hmm. I grew up watching a lot of Michigan basketball, and the 1-3-1 zone would look really good on this team because you have a lot of length, you have a lot of size and athleticism, and it would be very hard to pass the ball and get it inside against this team because – against a 1-3-1 zone just because they are so long and they are athletic and they could cause a lot of problems if you're trying to drive on them because of that. When they've switched to it, and it's been in, in little spurts, like you mentioned, they did it against Houston. They did it uh, when they got down in that UMass game, and I think that sparked them to a 10-0 run because they actually finally got some stops yeah. and got out into in transition. It, I mean, is that that's the destiny, just using it in small spurts here and there? Yeah, and I think that Frank's shown, especially the last two years, uh, injuries kind of made him do it last year, but a willingness to not completely go away from man-to-man because he'll probably never do that. That's his That's his baby. Mm-hmm. But to switch up to zone every now and then to kind of confuse the team, give them some different looks. Uh, they trapped a little bit. They pressed a little bit against Houston to, to force some turnovers, and it worked. And you see that a little bit. And I think as this team struggles a little bit in the man-to-man sometimes, it helps to kind of switch things up, um, get them kind of playing a little bit different style of defense and, forcing some turnovers because of that. And then as that happens, they maybe get a little bit more comfortable in the man-to-man. Uh, it takes a little bit of pressure off them defensively. Well, I think it's always good to change things up, too, so that yeah. the offenses aren't facing the same kinds of sets. I remember last year, the Brooklyn Nets, because everyone in the NBA is just like a man all the time. Yeah. And then the Brooklyn Nets, like in the middle of the season, just randomly started running a ton of zone and letting Jared Allen, I think they were like running 1-3-1 and just letting Jared Allen sit back there and swat everything. And everyone was like, what the heck? Yeah. And they were the best defensive team in the league for like a month. So uh, I'm glad that he's been been willing to show that. And, um, you know, Levesque, a guy that you talked about earlier, who's been pretty encouraging mm-hmm. throughout the early part of the season, didn't have a great game against Houston, but is at least an energetic force, good rebounder, has proven to be a good shot blocker, like, so when they, he's a real eraser, even when some of these guys are just getting beat off the dribble, which is nice. It's a luxury to have back there, but you need to be able to uh, to maximize that. But it sounds like ultimately, if this is like the biggest thing that Carolina needs to fix, it sounds like you think that it is fixable and something that will come as these guys just get more comfortable with the scheme. Oh, absolutely. And I think you saw that a little bit last year, too, uh, as they struggled to, you know, struggled in non-com play when Keyshawn Bryant was a freshman, AJ Lawson was a freshman. And now you're pretty much playing almost two freshmen in Jair Bolton and Jermaine Cousinard. I know fans probably don't like to hear that, but they didn't do a lot of defensive work last year since they were sitting out. And so this is really the first taste of this defensive style that they're playing. And um, just like last year, they got a lot better as the season went on. And I think you're going to see that again this year once you get into conference play and get into the kind of meteor schedule. The question then is, do you have enough quality wins in the non-con? Do you have enough wins in the non-con to make a bid at the tournament, which is what hurt them last year? Um Getting a win against Clemson certainly helps. Beating Virginia on the road would be Huge. monumental yeah. um, because they've missed on a few chances early in the non-con against a Wichita State, a UNI, who I think may be, outside of Houston, the best team they've played all year. Um, and then Houston, obviously. So um, they definitely need to get some wins, and I think as the season goes on, the defense will certainly help with that. Yeah, and in terms of the schedule, and I mentioned this, I guess probably after the Boston loss because people were like, oh, you know, season's over. This is the kind of stuff that keeps you out. And I was like, no, 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 not exactly. Like, if you're on the bubble, 
that's the kind of stuff that keeps every you team's out. Every going to have a bad loss. Every, every and we've seen like it seems like way more this year than what, yeah. was it Georgia Southern or Charleston Southern that beat Missouri, Missouri and Evansville beating uh, Kentucky, Kentucky and, and Michigan losing last night. Yeah, to just Illinois. last night. I mean, yeah. So I mean, it happens in basketball. It seems like it's happened a lot this year. But the one thing that you do worry about, like the Boston loss in and of itself, is not what keeps you out of the tournament. But it's when the math is not in your favor because you've lost other games that you probably weren't supposed to lose. And, and look, I mean, like, Wichita's a good team. You mentioned you and I's a good team. Houston's a good team. Those aren't bad losses for Carolina. But at some point, it you can't... It compounds on you at some it, point. It compounds. You can't, like, nitpick necessarily, like, the math of it, what the net rankings are, and things like that. It's just... it's Well, I mean, you do have to focus on the math of it in that it just becomes a numbers game. And mm-hmm. Carolina just needs to hit, like, a certain threshold yeah. of wins, not to mention, obviously, getting some quality ones in there. So... These, I mean, these last three games of the non-con are really important. They they probably need to beat Clemson. You can't expect them to beat UVA, but hope that game's competitive. And obviously, you got to take care of business um, at home against Stetson. And you say you go in, so what's that two, eight and five out of conference uh, non-con. It's yeah. like it's not great, but it's not terrible. Right. Um, and then you get a couple of quality wins, and you're going to have a lot of opportunities because there's a lot of good teams in the SEC. You kind of do what you did last year, and, and again, if if the team follows a similar progression that a lot of Frank Martin teams do, and that right. Carolina did last year, then that, I think that. Um, generally bodes well, but I, I don't know. I don't think it's time to freak out yet because there are enough things that are encouraging. The one thing that I will say I'm worried about, I don't know if Carolina can fix as easily as they can fix the defense. Can a team actually get like significantly better shooting free throws over the course of a season? No. that's I No, so. I mean, that's just one of those. I you feel like you're just kinda, bad. You are what you are. Yeah. yeah. And, and the free throws now, guys can develop over the course of careers and from the start of the season to the end, but if from a game-to-game standpoint, it's, you know, that, that comes with just work and repetition mm-hmm. and you know, but that feels significant to me. Yeah, no. I mean, they, Carolina's leaving like six, ten, twelve points. Yeah, and they, I mean, they a rank game on the on the on the board. Let me see on the what floor. they rank, but it's not good. I think they're shooting sixty percent from the line, which is um, currently three hundred thirty second out of three hundred fifty three Division one teams right now, um, which is not good. <laughs> but not no, good. that's not good. Yeah, and, for those of you that aren't good at math, that's not yeah, good. Um, and th- that's going to come back to Biden because down the stretch, you're going to need to be able to make free throws. You're going to be in close games with top twenty five teams. And if you can't make free throws, then that's a problem there. And there are guys that can make them. AJ Lawson's converting in a high clip, um, especially him. But at the end of the games, you know, you there are guys you have to take out because other teams will foul them to get them to the free throw line, and it could come back to bite you if you're up three, four, five points on a top twenty-five team or a, a resume-building win, and you're bricking free throws. Then the other team can kind of hang around, and you kind of saw that against UMass a little bit. This team isn't good enough to just be like smoking people, and especially the games that Carolina's going to have to be stealing from people. And so, when you're losing those kinds of margins, if Carolina's losing the free throw margin, if we're just if you're just going into a game chalking that up as a loss for Carolina, then you're talking about them having to more than make it up in other areas. You're talking about them having to you know really dominate in second chance points and dominate in transition and probably dominate in turnovers and things like that. And then you're just starting to really ask a lot of a team. I, I feel like we've talked about the UMass game a lot, but th- they won by four. They were up by eleven with like two minutes to go. They have five trips to the free throw line, like inside of the last minute or 90 seconds, and they split four out of the five of them. Like mm-hmm. Frank split a pair, Lawson split a pair, I think Bryant split a pair, somebody else split a pair, maybe Coates are. And then Lawson hit like two. And at then the Lawson end. hit two right there at the very end, but it's like this game could have been over a minute yeah. ago. Or like, you know, 15 minutes in real time because it takes forever yeah. to, to, to foul and go to the free throw line. But um, I think. I think that's a real concern for this team, and that's a bummer because that would that would be terrible at the yeah, difference, especially if the like difference, late but, in you know late in January, yeah. February, when you're making a tournament push, like if they were doing last year, um, it could come back to bite you. And uh, I think one of the things they're good at is offensive rebounding. Um, I think they're top. I'm looking at here, top fifty uh, in offensive rebounding percentage, 
which is great, and that's a staple of a Frank Martin team, but another staple of a Frank Martin team is getting offensive rebounds and getting fouled because of that to get to the line and earn some free points. So you have to be better at that if you're moving forward, and I think Frank knows that, and I think the team knows that. Um, but now it's just about building confidence. I think Frank talked a lot about that before the Houston game where he's like, we need to just build confidence. If you're constantly putting a player down and he gets fouled, then he's going to the free throw line already thinking he's going to miss one or if not both free throws. Mm -hmm. So it's building confidence at this point. And they're doing a lot of things that Frank Martin likes in terms of just getting offensive rebounds, forcing some turnovers. They're not shooting the ball that well, but and especially at the free throw line. But if you can continue to do those things, the opportunities will come and you need to convert. And that's kind of, if they can do that, then this team has a chance to be pretty good the rest of, I guess, the final, what, 20 games of the year. Um, but if not, then it, it might struggle to, to put up consistent offensive numbers. Yeah, and it's just a matter of uh, staying even-keeled, I guess. Uh, the next opportunity for South Carolina to even out and get another non-conference win is going to be this Sunday, 5 o'clock tip, up in Clemson, playing the Tigers. People on the message boards don't think a lot of uh, the Clemson Tiger basketball <laughs> yeah. team. I admittedly have not watched a ton of Clemson basketball. I think they're fine. I think you said that they were. How did you say it? There's something average. Use a good, perfectly average, perfectly, average, yeah, perfectly. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty comparable statistically to a lot of things yeah. in South Carolina. They're five and four. So, what's Carol? What should Carolina fans expect to see from Clemson on Sunday? Uh, a team that kind of looks a lot like South Carolina. Um, I'm looking at their numbers now. Uh, they shoot actually shoot pretty well from three, uh, shooting about 35. percent uh, They convert from two quite well. They're almost. They're only shooting 68 percent from three or from the free throw line. So. Um, they're struggling there, but it's kind of the similar thing with South Carolina. They're young at some pretty key spots. They have a freshman point guard that Frank Martin talked a little bit about today, and um, it's they, they've lost their last three to really good teams, and they've lost anytime they've played a good team outside of TCU, they've lost. Um, so it's a team very similar to South Carolina, kind of trying to figure out their own way, and you kind of don't know what you're going to get night in and night out from them, uh, similar to a degree of what, what you're getting out of South Carolina right now. So... Um, I expect a close game. It feels like this game's always close, whether or not the teams are, you know, similar or one's vastly superior to the other. But um, like the year they went to South Carolina to the Final Four, Clemson won by two. Like I mean, it's just, it's just like that. And South Carolina is a much better offensive rebounding team. I think you're going to get some second chance points there. Clemson not so much, so they'll probably get limited in that. And you know, if South Carolina can get out and run and get out to an early lead. I think that bodes well for them um, up there in the upstate. And obviously, you know, getting a win is like the most important thing, but like you're saying, it's, it's a team that is generally similar to South Carolina, and you talk about a team that's looking for their identity a little bit, looking for some confidence, looking for uh, especially a little bit of momentum headed into SEC play, and the start of SEC play is ridiculous. I don't know I don't know whose no, fault it's insane. this, but Carolina's yeah. playing <laughs> they against fi- Florida at home, at Tennessee, Kentucky, at A&M, and at Auburn are their first five games. Yeah, they finally get a home game to start conference play, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's just Florida who you know, could go to the Final Four this Ugh, year with Carrie Black. Gosh, it's brutal. So Carolina needs all the help they can get. They need all the momentum they can get in this kind of Clemson game. And it, again, it feels like a team because you know when they beat George Washington, when they beat UMass, no one cares, no one's that excited because you're mm-hmm. supposed to win those games. And then when you lose against teams that are better than you, Wichita State and Northern Illinois and Houston, people get upset. So there's there hasn't really been a lot of middle ground opportunity for right. South Carolina. This is... I mean, like, really one of the first opportunities. Like, I think UMass is, is probably a decent team. UMass is team. a good win, and, um, and Gardner-Webb's okay. Yeah, yeah, and they're, and they're fine. But this is, like, would this be Carolina's best win of the season? Oh, by far. By far? Uh, by far. Uh, I think Clemson's right now at Ken Palm at number 90 in the country, and their next best win after that was Gardner-Webb at 196. Mm. So, oh, wow. you're talking yeah, about so 100, yeah, so you're talking about a 100-point swing there. Um, yeah, this is not now if 
they go out and beat Virginia, that's obviously a better win. And that, you know, this win probably won't end up being their best win of the season, but better not be. Right, yeah, say, yeah. are in for it. But say, right now, South Carolina does not have a great win on paper. I think UMass is a good team. I think GW or Gardner Webb was a good team, but on paper, they don't have a great win. Um, and this Clemson win would be that against an ACC school. Um, that had an outside shot at making the tournament last year uh, with some talent on it. They This would be a very good win for a very young South Carolina team, team still trying to find its way with a lot more opportunity on the line. And for them to win, it's going to be a 55-50 to 50 kind of game or like an 80-75 to 75 kind of game? I think the latter. I think it'll look a lot like UMass where they're getting out and running in transition and, and converting close looks at the basket. And, and knocking out some shots on the perimeter if they need to. So, no, this is not a de- this will not be a defensive-minded game. But uh, I think South Carolina has a pretty decent shot at winning this if pieces fall the way they should fall. And Frank Martin mentioned it the other day or today actually. Uh, this is the first time since Carrera's senior year, the last time they won in uh, the 15-16 year, where they've had a fully healthy lineup um, for the entirety of the game because Sandarius was suspended for that 16-17, oh, yeah, that's right, that's and then right. Corey Holden went down the last time up at Clemson, and then they were without Manaya and Kotsar mm. uh, last year. So this will be the first time, knock on wood, you know. I was going to say, yeah. fingers crossed nothing you got happens. You've got a couple more the, days of practice. Yeah, but, the bus you know, right up there. Yeah, um, maybe a little John Coliseum's curse yeah, or something. Yeah. So, but this will knock on wood if everything goes right and stays status quo. It'll be the first time they go up there since 2015-16 where they have a fully healthy roster. Mm. All right. Well, fingers crossed if you're a Carolina fan. Again, that's 5 o'clock on Sunday. I think that'll about do it for our first episode of the As Yet Untitled Hoops podcast. We're going to be aiming to do this twice a week, obviously recap whatever weekend action Carolina has and preview their midweek action. Although the next three games they have are all on weekends, as you mentioned. It's, well, it's Houston Sunday, it's Clemson Sunday, UVA Sunday, and then you have to wait, I think, eight days because the Stetson game is on a Monday, and then Carolina gets into their normal Saturday-Wednesday rotation. So we'll be regular during uh, SEC season, and uh, in the meantime, we'll be doing our best to uh, keep you up to date with everything going on with South Carolina basketball through the remainder of the non-con schedule as well. At Colin Taylor? Yes. Oh, nice. Colin That's with a, a Y. Colin yeah. with a Y. I'm so yeah. bad at remembering people's Twitter handles, but at Colin Taylor with a Y on Twitter. Read them on GamecockCentral.com. And if you are not subscribers to Gamecock Central right now, you should be because obviously basketball season is well underway. Early signing period is next week. Yes. There's a ton of stuff going on. South Carolina is still looking for, the football team is still looking for a strength and conditioning coach. So if you want to be a subscriber to Gamecock Central and you're not, and you want to try it out and see if it's for you, which I promise you will find that it is for you, use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD to get a month of insider access for free. Uh, this podcast is always for free because we're just lovely, beautiful, generous people. We and care about you guys. Yeah, yeah. we care about you. And uh, we, we like talking to you and we like hearing from you. And with that being said, I want to remind you all to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. You get this. You get Wes and Chris to do their commit cast. You get another Carolina podcast. You get my Get Cocky podcast with Will Helms, which we're going to keep going uh, throughout the offseason. So a ton of good stuff. And like I said, this is for free. All you have to do is subscribe to the podcast so you make sure you don't miss any of the glorious Gamecock Central podcast network action. Colin, thanks so much. This has been a pleasure. We're going to be doing this for the whole rest of the season. I'm really excited. Buckle up and get done. Yeah. I'm ready. It's going to be great. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.